Welcome to Learning with Lowell. I'm your host, Lowell Thompson. We cover biotech and science-related topics on the show, such as startups working on antibiotic drugs or colon cancer, to venture capitalists talking about funding and how that worked, to people talking about how they found a science-backed startup. Two, and this is one of my favorite parts, people talking about specific science-related topics, such as whales or protein engineering. You're really going to get a lot, and it's all going to be about science on this podcast. Today we are joined with Dr. Thomas Meany, CEO of Cell Free Technology and Director of OpenCell. OpenCell is basically a lab space for early stage companies, kind of built out of shipping containers. It's really neat. It's in the London, UK region. And Cell Free is about rapidly developing protocol tools who are currently hiring and you can get in touch with them in the show notes. And in this episode, we get into what they're building, a little bit about Thomas's interests, the things that they've struggled with, what's unique, why this is a great time, self-free to exist, you know, that type of stuff. And at the end, we have some new rapid fire questions. Like once you hear me ask him about book recommendations, like I, I start firing questions off at him and he starts answering them. How do you divide your time between self-free and open cell? Like, is it like 50-50 or is it like 90-10? Over the last couple of months, we've been working pretty close to full time to getting the labs up and running. But the reason for that is so that we can switch back to cell free full time because really having that, having that lab has been essential for us to do any work at all. And I guess we've made the sacrifice over the last couple of months to, to say, look, let's build this thing. We're just about to hire someone full time to run the space more actively from the technical side. Yeah, we'll be back to cell free then and it'll be a very exciting opportunity instead of building the lab to be getting to use it all the time. You're a director of one and the CEO of the other. So I assume they're two separate entities. They're two separate legal entities. And in fact, in a complex way, the cell free one is incorporated in Ireland and the open cell is incorporated in the UK. The open cell is actually structured differently as well. It's actually a nonprofit. The term in the UK is a company limited by guarantee. Both myself and Helena are, are joint joint directors there. And, and it's, it's, it's the two of us. And then we're both the, the joint directors of the cell free. Why didn't you do like Alphabet and have Google work underneath it? I really want open cell to, to thrive on its own. You know, I want it to, I, you know, right away, we, we frankly didn't want to do open cell. We wanted someone else to do it and then we could just rent space but because no one else was doing it we said fine let's suck it up and get the job done but i imagine in 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 the coming months and years someone will step up into the the, the own of or the role of owning owning open cell you know i think what me and helena are good at is it's kind of overcoming inertia and you know we we thought that our role would be best placed in, in getting the space running and then i think that there are, are better people when it comes to managing a space like this so I think we'll probably step back at that stage and, and let open cell be uh, you know somebody else's baby what's the rocket side to cell free like what's the what's the aspect of it that's like really advanced it's two things so we can help you find the DNA sequences that will advance and accelerate your work and make your life easier so by using cell free protein expression where we actually express express proteins Outside of a cell, we can go very fast, right? So we can see expression in under an hour, as opposed to adding DNA to the cell-free extract, you can see expression or production of a protein in under an hour. Whereas conventional approach like you know cell culturing, you might not see anything for a couple of days. So that's a you know that's a hundredfold increase in 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 the in the time to prototype. On top of that, because we're kind of delivering that solution in a digital way, so a cloud lab style it's much easier for people to you know, find out 
the solutions to their to their their issues without having to you know buy things into their labs or or, or problems like that. So yeah, I guess the the rocket science side of it is is definitely the the self reprogramming expression. We've we've done a lot of work on that. Uh, understanding how we can do it at scale and get reproducible has been you know very boring, but actually really really um, valuable. Um, and and then building a an actual product and a service around that. I think has been has been the critical edge because we're no longer just a here's a magic juice company. We're a you know this is a, a useful DNA prototyping tool. What were some of those scaling issues? So what we do is we 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 break open cells, right? And we take out you know we we separate the less valuable material like the cell walls and genomic DNA from that cell. We separate that out, and then we're left with this sort of transcriptional translational uh, apparatus, or or basically the apparatus of the cell that's responsible for reading DNA and and, and producing proteins. So what's pretty hard there is to find a way to break those cells open that doesn't you know destroy everything in the cell. And then on top of it, not just to do it for a few cells, but to do it for billions upon billions upon billions of cells and do it over and over and over again. So once you kind of scale your reaction vessel from, you know, a small one mil tube that's no bigger than kind of your, your pinky finger, and you start scaling that up to one liter vessels, it, it, is, it is hugely challenging because you're going to get variation in, in quality. And then day to day, you'll have batch to batch variability. So a lot of our work has been in the background of trying to find ways to, um, you know, sensible and mostly engineering ways to uh, in, improve consistency and, and, in, and reduce batch-to-batch variability. And yeah, uh, you know, it's, um, it's, it's really day-in, day-out stuff. Is there anything that made you feel like this was the right time to make something like this? Like, I think there's a good example where someone made a clean energy startup in the Middle East right before the Arab Spring happened. So the oil was kind of not going to be working all that well. So then they were able to sell very, very well compared to the rest of the world because they were really the only thing in the market. So is there anything like that that makes you feel like this is the right time to make this startup? It is, you know, everybody's going to tell you the time is now, but I suppose I'll just sort of t- tell you about the trends that, that that we've seen over, I suppose, the last, you know, well, probably really five five years in particular. Um, you know, what what's the big the big driver of the, you know, I don't know, for lack of a better word, what's the big driver of the bioeconomy? You know this this uh, economy based on biological uh, technologies or, or biotechnologies. You know, um, it's ultimately DNA is, is driving a lot of it, and it's both the ability to sequence DNA extremely cheaply, so to be able to read DNA sequences, uh, and also to be able to print those DNA sequences and then actually do stuff with it. Uh, so you've got sequencing costs have plummeted. You know, I mean, I think the Probably Rod Carlson has done the best job of, of monitoring and, and, and describing this. Um, but basically, they've, they've dropped, I think, like a, a million fold since the, the first time a genome was sequenced. So you can find this graph online from, from the NIH, NIH where you can see how, how, how rapidly things have fallen. And, and then um, next-gen sequencing having contributed a lot to that uh, you know, progression of that, of that fall. Then on the on the synthesis side, you know, it's just it's a proliferation of companies that are providing DNA. So that competition, as well as the fact that the technology is advancing, means you're getting really cheap DNA. You know, companies like Twist, 
they're 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 pumping out new um, uh, uh, new DNA uh, synthesis techniques, and mm-hmm. uh, what that means is there's even new industries kind of forming on the back of this, like you know DNA data storage. Like no one would have thought even considered that you know as as a feasible uh, way to store information uh, you know several years ago. But now you know it's 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 a viable commercial possibility. So that's incredible. And then I think the other thing is is that alongside the biological progress, there's been huge swathes of progress in 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 the digital world. So you've got this kind of proliferation, not just of ways to store and interact with data, like like via the cloud. You know, so now Amazon Web Services is the norm, not the exception. So nobody has to have a you know a NAS in their office anymore. You've got that on top of um, on top of new methods to actually interact with data, like you know various machine learning uh, algorithms that, that you can actually start to derive uh, insights from. So you've got this whole sort of digital and physical progress that has meant that companies like ours, where you know what we do is basically take DNA and find out if it produces you the protein that you want. You know now all of a sudden we can we can really take advantage of all these low cost DNA providers and the various analytical tools available via digital companies and, and offer pretty unique products, you know, that, that really we couldn't have built uh, five years ago. I don't, I don't think we would have considered it. What is cloud, like a lab cloud, like a cloud lab? Like what does it actually mean? Like if I were to come over to your facility, what does that look like? Is it just means that people can use the stuff remotely? Because I, I believe cloud just means that it's just servers that you can access remotely. Yeah, but like, what does that mean? Like, what does that like actually look like? I mean, if you were to walk into the labs here, what you would see is um, someone sends us the DNA sequence. You know, right away, we can order that sequence from one of our DNA suppliers. And then, or in, in a lot of cases, we, we kind of know what's going on and, and we can just... Um, use stuff we have in the fridge and kind of PCR fragments off and stuff like that. We basically read that person's DNA sequence and we find a way to get that sequence into a form that it can be put into our self-free extract. So that's step one. Uh, and that's a lot of lab work. Uh, most of it done via a pipetting robot or via uh, one of our suppliers. Then um, we actually take that, that DNA uh, often it has to be amplified, so 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 we'll put it into a, a cloning strain of um, E. coli if we need, and then we'll amplify it. But usually we just use linear fragments and PCR them up, and then we'll add them to our self-free extract again via pipetting robot. Afterwards, uh, we'll put that into a fluorescent plate reader, which will see did this particular piece of DNA produce a fluorescent protein. And then there's more downstream stuff we, we can do from there and actually start to look at their particular protein of interest, not just our fluorescent marker. So that's kind of how, how it works. And it's, it's pretty fast. So, I mean, I think the quickest was like, if the DNA is in the fridge, like we can have the thing done in about an hour. That's the sort of longest time. Then, you know, we make the self-free extracts. So that's sort of the, I guess, the, what we spend most of our, our time doing. How do they send you... Is it like they send like a sample of something or can they like send an email? Because I've heard that if you have like the code, like if you were to run the sequence and you had the sequence, you could like reconstruct the DNA, which I don't really understand, but apparently people can do that. So just like if I had a thing and I wanted you to run it, would I actually have to send you like a, a live sample or could 
or is there like other ways of doing it? Oh no! I mean, like uh, the whole point is that you you don't have to send a live sample. I mean, if you if you sent us a sample, it could be handy. But in, in most cases, people just send the sequence, and the sequence is just this string of um, you know GTs, A's, and C's that 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 constitutes their particular it could be a gene, or it could be you know an actual circuit with 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 a promoter, or you know whatever. Like they'll they'll have you know what it is they're working on, and 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 we can have that synthesized. What is something that is impressive that you've done that we would be surprised by? I, I used to make uh, physical stuff that you could you could touch and hold and use. Um, I used to make uh, circuits in glass, laser-written circuits. So we would take a laser and actually uh, carve a lightweight circuit in glass. And then you could send uh, individual photons and actually pairs of photons down them. And they would actually perform a, a kind of a very mundane, like very trivial quantum computation, which was cool. So yeah, I guess I, I made a very, <laughs> very small, well, it was very big. It wasn't useful, rudimentary quantum computer, I suppose. And you're not in the news about it. You got you to gotta publish that. I think it was years ago, but I don't know. It was, it was, it was pretty kind of baby steps, like, you know. It still counts. Is there something that you're working on that you, to some extent, don't you think you can do, but you're pushing for it that you think is impressive? I mean, like what we're doing now is nothing, you know, I mean, like we're, we're just, you know, that, you know, it's, it's the self reproduction expression and we provide that to people is, is just kind of first step. And what I'd love to see is, is, you know, and this is a five to 10 year project, you know, this isn't going to happen overnight, but to be able to design, you know, proteins and, and more importantly, long range structures. So let's say I want a piece of fabric that has this amount of stickiness and this amount of hydrophobicity or whatever it is, you know, I have my, you know, computer aided design tool that can then incorporate biological features in that design. So I'm actually starting to devise proteins from sort of almost the atom up, you know, molecule by molecule will put together this thing for you and have some kind of, you know, biological method of, of producing it, you know, that's like, that's nature, no, like, that's what's happening. Like, you know, like a plant is an, is an insanely elegant factory, uh, or, you know, ecosystem, micro ecosystem. That, that, I mean, they're, you know, how, how that ever came to be is, is, you know, is extraordinary. So we're just a million miles away from it. You know, it'll probably be 50 to a hundred years before we can conceive of things that could sort of print a sofa instead of, uh, or grow a sofa, you know, a finished product instead of having to have uh, various processes. You know, maybe that's where we could go. Yeah. Probably a lot of road left. Yeah. Makes sense. I think we've spoken a number of times about scalability of it. So where are you now in terms of how much output or input output you can do and where do you want it to be? in the next like year or so? We often use these micro well plates. So they're, they're just little plates with indentations and those indentations are, are, are in a structured way so that they're, they're like 96 wells or you can have a, a 384 well plate uh, where you can fill each well with something. So we, we often use uh, 96 or 384 well plates in the lab. I guess in terms of 96 well plates, we've been running through, I don't know how many in a month, let's say like a couple of hundred maybe, you know? Um, I think we'd love to like be doing a couple of hundred a day, um, which isn't mental, you know, like that, that wouldn't be a huge stretch. So yeah, I think like that's my really sort of short term answer, but I guess in, in the longer term, what we really need to invest in is, um, there's amazing automated liquid handlers that are coming out that, that in some cases don't even use air. They actually use acoustic waves 
to push fluid out of their, their wells. That means you can go smaller, you can go faster, you can do more stuff in a shorter amount of time. Um, and if we you know, invest in something like that, I think then we'll, we'll start to go from the hundreds to the, you know, in principle, sort of you know, multi-million reactions in, in a day. And that's when you really start to get a lot of hits when you're starting to say, okay, 99% of the things that I put forward don't work. You know, only 1% is really uh, going to get near the goals. You know, I think that's where, where we probably... I have a quick question before I ask a, a follow-up on what you just said. Is there an error rate? Like if, if, you, if you run like 100, does like one go bad and you have to like redo it? Or, or is it like 100% will always work out? That is like a super question. That's actually probably the thing that took us the longest when we were starting out was not so much, not so much you. So for extras, actually having like meaningful, comprehensible outputs is, is, the, is the job of, of controls. So understanding, you know, what's happening is about being able to say, here's my negative control. I know that should do nothing. Here's my positive control. I know that should do this. You know, here's my additional quantized control that allows me to say, I know this should be doing this, this should be doing this. And then together they should be doing the following. And, you know, I can have a ratio metric analysis that allows me to sort of pull, you know, pull some statistic out that gives me like meaningful understandings of how much protein did I make and how much time. Yeah, that, that's when it look, I'll be honest with you, that's when it gets a bit boring. But like, that's where it's, it's actually a really good question. That's where controls come in. And I would say, um, when we first started out, we spent, I think, almost six months on only controls. We, we did nothing else. Like, And now I'd say if you're putting in a 96-well plate, it can be sometimes up to the majority of that plate will be a set of controls based on you know an understanding of your experiment previously and then feeding it forward and then saying, we need to have all these different controls on the plate so that we can get more information out of what you're doing. So that's... Yeah, sorry for the big long rant, but no, that is like one of the most important pieces. No, that was not a rant, and I actually really liked your response. So <laughs> you're you're good. The, so so in essence, you put a lot of time into it, so you have like a, a very high a- efficacy right now. So it's like ninety nine percent, like like one of those bacteria bottles, like ninety nine percent success rate of get, going through how you want it to be. Like I guess I guess like what, what what often happens is say for instance someone someone approaches us and says okay this particular gene of it, we need, you know, and at the moment we're sort of limited in our organisms to, to we, we really only work in E. coli almost, almost exclusively. So we say, okay, if you want to get that work in E. coli, we start to think of what are the combinations of these two things called um, promoters uh, and ribosomal binding sites. So the sort of, um, the, the kind of, I don't know, the, the, uh, the things that sort of guide and, and, and define the uh, transcription and translation process. So, you know, this promoter and RBS combination is something that we we played with a lot and now have a, a much better understanding of how we can sort of linearize the outputs of our experiments. So that'll be kind of the first thing we do. And then um, what we actually expect is that there'll be, the majority will be failures because we don't expect everything to work or we'll, we'll see a range of, of operational ranges. And, and that's where we say, okay, so now we build a control for that problem. So if we want to go forward with that individual, we then start to understand, like, how is this working? How do we know when it's not working? How do we then derive, you know, insights from even it not working? Uh, Because a sort of a negative result for us, i.e., we didn't see your protein of interest, 
can actually be useful information to feed back into our models. So and when it comes to the factory, I always, not factory, but like scalability of something, I always kind of think of factories. And the first, like one of the big factories I always think of is like the Gigafactory that Tesla is building. So do you, like, how does that, like, how does like a, a hard factory like that, if you were to make like a similar factory for what you're developing, like if you had like a, like automated the process a little bit more and use all those advanced technologies, would it, would it look similar to a normal factory when you scale it up or would it, would it be just like have a bunch of human people doing re- repetitious tasks at certain points? You know, we're, we're obsessed with automation. So when we're in the lab, uh, you know, we're, we're very out of spaces. So, um, you know, yeah, it could look a lot like a car factory, right? Because you're going to have lots of robots. Um, you know, those robots will then have, you know, and by robots, what I mean is like, you know, machines that, that do a lot of work for you. Like I talked about that acoustic liquid, liquid handling robot earlier. That'd be one type. There's, there's air-based handling robots. Then you can also have robots that sort of move stuff around the place. So there's these sort of plate mover robots that we've been working with. So yeah, you'd see a lot of robotics. I think in terms of human intervention, yeah, there, there is a lot of human intervention, what we do, particularly in making the, uh, the extract. So I suppose, again, like I, I guess the analogy with the car is breaking down here. But for us, like one aspect of our business is, is R&D. And then one aspect of it is, is actually producing this, this self-free extract. And then another aspect is executing this back end of our, of our cloud lab service. So we could picture that back end of the cloud lab really becoming highly automated. And I mean, if you take it to its logical extreme, there has been, there's this awesome company in, in Silicon Valley that, that's, that's been trying, I mean, they were really ahead of their time. They've been trying to, to automate almost everything in, in the laboratory. Yeah, they're called Transcriptic. Um, and you can actually, you know, I, I think they're, I'm not sure if you can still use it, but you used to be able to use this auto protocol language that, that, that we actually use. You know, they came up with this awesome language called auto protocol. Like how do you instruct biology? You know, you come up with a language to instruct it. So you, you talk about dilutions and you talk about wells and everything like that. So they really wrote the standard on how to do that. A lot of the robots that we that we do use, or well, one of them comes from, you know, Open Transit for, as an example, who, who actually took that auto protocol language and have based their entire their entire operating system on it. So it's it's going to start to look more and more like a, like a car factory. You're right. You know? So I, I have a business technical question. So from where you are now, have you guys met like ramen profitability yet? I love that question. Yeah, ramen profitability. Yeah, um, yeah. I first read it in like a YC interview. I, I'd never heard it before. I thought it was unbelievable. We're getting closer. So for us, I think like we're we're probably about six months away from from ramen profitability. And I think what what has traditionally held us back was that our our lab constrained us. So now that we have our new lab, we'll be pretty well able. And also this lab is I mean, built in shipping containers. It's built to be as flexible, modular, and portable as possible. Now that we have this space, we'll be really well able to, to, um, to do the things we need to do to get there. Are there any partnerships or people that you need to bring aboard? Because I believe you guys are hiring. So is there anyone you need to either partner with in the community or want to partner with in the community or bring aboard the types of person, the types of people you want to bring aboard to make that happen quicker or to make that happen at all? Absolutely. We're, we're actively looking for people, I think, you know, on both sides of this, of this uh, divide. So there, there's traditionally been, 
your kind of bioinformatician, computer scientist type, and then there's been your, you know, wet lab, hands-on biologist type. Anybody who's prepared to kind of bridge that divide and work on, you know, very tangible products, we are we are always looking for. So anybody who can pet like crazy but doesn't mind doing the odd bit of coding or somebody who's an awesome coder but doesn't mind the odd pet being flung into their hand and is open to chatting to people and open, really open for understanding like, um, I guess, quite recursive um, experimental design cycles and, and engaging in every aspect and, and really sitting down and, and, and understanding what one another do. Anybody like that will, will fit right in here. And I think the other thing as well is like we're, like both myself and my, my co-founder, Lena, like we're, we're both non-conventional, you know, I mean, neither of us have a, have a biology degree, you know. So if you come from a non-university background, feel free to get in touch as well. Like we're not looking for, we're definitely not looking for a conformist come to the table with, uh, with crazy ideas and uh, we're usually up for them. Are there, are there like skill sets that you are looking for? Um, I mean, I know that you're looking for like a go-getter and, and, and the things that you've already stated, but are there things that like are hard coded that you need them to know how to do like certain programming languages, certain technical yeah, I mean, I suppose like the three programming languages, like we probably almost exclusively use, okay, whatever, everybody probably uses a bit of HTML, but, um, you know, we, we are, we use a lot of Python, a lot of, you know, occasionally a lot of bash commands. And then, you know, I suppose there, you you know, if you're, if you're open to kind of picking up a bit of the auto protocol, that's, that's easy to do, um, you know, and then, and then obviously Git. So if, if you're, if you're comfortable you know, with, with, with versioning and stuff like that, that's that's important. It's brilliant if you have got an experience in, you know, working with bioinformatic tools. We'd love if someone came to the table like and had worked on a project like RaptorX or worked on a project like, like Fire or on a project like PyMod, you know. Um, any of those would be like super, like we'd love that. But I don't think you have to have done that from the kind of programming side. All the better if you're a programmer who's actually done some wet lab work, so you understand the challenges. Like of you know, you you may think it's just a PCR, like it's been done, you've done it a hundred times. But like if you go in and it takes you four days to do something that could normally take you a morning, like that's the kind of open-mindedness and, and comprehension you have to have. And then I think on the wet lab side, if you're if you're really talented in the wet lab, you know, definitely if you work with self-free systems before we'd love to talk to you if you've made self-free extract before we'd love to talk to you if you've if you've worked on i suppose um biomolecular pathways before and trying to work in synthetic biology and trying to you know transplant those pathways into something else like you'll you'll quite quickly adapt to what we're doing here much of what we're doing is 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 going to be your your sort of standard synthetic biology skill set um but then again if you if you have protein design like you've done some x-ray crystallography or something like that and you you know are passionate about really understanding proteins at the at the very um you know at the deep atomic level we whoa we'd love to talk to you like you know if you have a new skill set that's brilliant and particularly if you've done wet lab work alongside computational work like that's that's the dream really i think so then so that's the dream what would be the nightmare like who who do you who do you not want? Like I mean, what we look, we did we did work with somebody in the past that that wasn't open collaborating the wet lab. The discussions were were a lot slower because um, you know if you, if you're not if you're not in like if you're really good from the computational side, but you are not open minded enough to understand that the wet lab is way slower than you're used to. You're you're gonna have you know you're gonna have a bad time. You know it's it's 
you have to be patient and you have to kind of have a real open mind. And if you do, like the ideas that come back are, are awesome. You know, like, you know, people have a really good insight into why they're doing it. And I suppose, yeah, if you're, if you're, if you're close-minded like that, I think that you, you wouldn't really enjoy this, I, I think. So how, how do you differentiate between like, how do you, how, when, I think it was Lee Iacocca, the, the guy who saved Chrysler, who said that the, you can tell a lot of things from the first, like an interview, but what you can't tell is whether or not they're lazy. So how can, or in a number of other, like how they'll execute on something, like people can talk, talk good, but maybe they can't deliver. So how have you, how are you basically figuring out the, the dream from the nightmare so that like they don't come through and be a ma- bad match for what you want? It's um, it's something we've never done before. And like I'd say, probably the most humbling experience of my life is trying to understand how to to pull you know a group of people together that 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 want to, to kind of work together. So I think to be honest with you, again, this is another reason we we moved to this site in London and, and have this site in London is it, it makes it a lot easier to get to know people if you can be near them. I mean, we did Skype interviews and stuff like that, but like, what do you? what can you really make a call on if you can't meet somebody and like you say, actually work with them. So, you know, what we're, what we're hoping here is just that, that since we're nearby, you know, we'll have a, a nice flow of people. So, you know, groups like, um, like iGym can drop down and get involved in the labs here and interact with us a bit closer. And over time we can really sort of build that relationship with people and, you know, they can know if this is right for them or not, because that's the big thing. Though. It's, it's not so much about, you know, snapping people up. It's more just about, you know, is it what they want to do? Keeping it slow and, and just working, working alongside each other and getting to know one another is, is your best bet. So being in a, in a hub like this is, is fantastic. And if, for people who are listening and are like, this Thomas guy, what he's built is fascinating. Check him out at selffree.tech. So re- recommended books either for what you're now working on or just in general that you refer people to? A hilarious book I love is, uh, well, it's not funny. It's, it's just like a really good Irish history book is um, uh, Tom Barry's Guerrilla Days in Ireland. It's about a guy who sort of like led a very small brigade of, of Irish soldiers to, um, to kind of you know, beating uh, this big uh, English um, uh, occupation. So just a pretty cool story of, a, I think like more work related is BioBuilder by a lady called, well, it was contributed by tons of people, but I think Natalie Kundell uh, could sort of claim to be the, the main author there. Um, that's an amazing book because I actually first got into synthetic biology because I was reading it. They had like these examples of iGen projects. They had examples of projects that you could do yourself. It was really accessible. Also went from a very nice analogy to a very good example. Uh, very nice. So I'd, I'd probably recommend that to anybody who's just who, who has a passing interest in in, in this whole synthetic biology stuff. What was the last book I read? I think I read Roll Doll. My most recent read was Roll Doll's uh, Switch Bitch. I don't know if you, you ever read Roll Doll when you were a kid, like. No, I don't even know what that is. Everything you've recommended, I do not know what it is. I'm going to read them all now. Yeah, like Roldal. So I just finished reading this like really saucy, like you can imagine the name Switch Bitch is, is a little bit saucy. This guy was like a famous children's author. And like you've you've read his books or at least seen his films like Charity and the Chocolate Factory, you know, James and the Giant Peach. Like that's Roldal, like maybe one of the most prolific children's writers. But yeah, I read one of his adult books and they were quite different to his children's books. What do you, What do you do for fun? Yeah, like I'm sort of, I like running at the moment because it's it's summer. I like surfing, but I'm not living on the coast anymore, so I do more running at the moment. You can surf in the UK. 
oh man like you can surf in in ireland it's awesome yeah like it's probably one of the best things to do there because like you don't need a sun you just need like you know swell and we've got plenty of swell isn't it cold ah uh, yeah like in the winter now i was wearing a five mil wetsuit like big thick wetsuit like you know but in the summer you can wear a three mil wetsuit like the last time i went mm. yeah I, I just wear shorts so i feel like i'd freeze no matter what though that's yeah. interesting i want to learn surfing that sounds like and dr duadna one of the people that discovered CRISPR, she surfs so I, maybe there's something there. Like maybe surfers are innovators. Yeah. So those are kind of like the outdoor activities. I, do. I love sort of like programming weird things. I got sort of, sort of obsessed with there's these new kind of AI things that come out now. So like there's one Clarif AI and another company called Alien who do like natural language processing and they have this like news API. So like I just, you know, I kind of have these kind of play computing projects. I'll, I'll try to incorporate like weird things into maybe it's like a Twitter bot or something. I suppose that's probably what I what I spend uh, my, my rainy days doing. Are there common mistakes that you see people making or that you've made that you would recommend people stay away from? Maybe the thing I'd say is like being kind of like closed off and, and sort of secretive. You know, part of the reason we call it open cell, open cell is like to push up front that we are open, you know, so that means collaborative, uh, open-minded. You know, the other thing is just sort of prepared to kind of take critique and stuff like so. You know, I think people have like really helped us in in both cell free and open cell because we're we're pretty like we're pretty open about what we do and and you know we're we're also you know happy to say we're noobs you know like i you know we're, we're, we haven't run a a business before so it's the first time so we're, we're really keen to learn and, and listen to people so yeah i just say you know be open-minded and collaborative like you know and, and often people don't do that you know i mean they're they're keen to sort of stay in control over a pie as opposed to just saying, look, who cares? Like, let's just make the pie bigger and then everybody can have a slice. You know, it's sort of, I don't know, that's what I'd say anyway. Come be as open and collaborative as you can be. Like, What keeps you up at night? Cash flow statements. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I think the, the difference between doing research and, and running a company is probably you have to go to bed with a balance sheet. Like, yeah, that's, I'd say that's the thing that would scare you the most. Um, it's a pretty cool adventure running a business, like, but it can kind of be all consuming a bit, I suppose. Um, so I get very uh, conscious of the money that goes out and the money goes in and just making sure I keep a really, really good hold and understanding of it, I suppose. Like. So uh, for people who have listened, liked what you have to say, or are interested and want to send you an email, they can check you out at uh, sellfree.tech. Is there any other ways? Any ways to connect or, or follow along in your developments? Yeah, like I'm on uh, Twitter. Uh, so it's at Tom Selfree. And you can follow us. On, sorry, like this, I've never said this before in such an advertising way. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think we're on Facebook as well. Um, Elena does most Instagramming. So they're actually really good if you look at those. She takes really good photos. And probably just dropping us a mail. Is there like a good way that people can get through? Like I assume you get a lot of emails. So is there like something you particularly like? There's a person who really likes philosophical texts. So the recommendation from him was to start the thing with a quote of like some like person out in the universe. Like, and then he would be so interested, he'd read the rest of it. So I'm curious, is there any fun work away? So like every time you get an email from someone, they're like, oh, wow, I get something fun. And then I, I can read their email as well. What are we... What are we obsessed with at the moment? I suppose we're obsessed with AI Twitter bots at the moment. And I also got obsessed with AI poker bots as well. So if you start conversation with that, I'd, I'd almost certainly reply, I think. 
And that was Dr. Thomas Meany. Remember to check out the show notes if you want links to check out his website and some of the things he's up to. He is hiring as the last time I talked to him. So if you're in the UK or you're interested in what he talked about, send him an email. He's very receptive. And as the last thing that we talked about, you'll know how to get through to him. Other than that, I want to inform people before we go that there is a new way to show support for the podcast and to keep it advertisement-free from now until forever, which is called Patreon. If you go to Patreon and look for Learning with Lowell, you'll see this podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. We can be found on Twitter at Lowell This Year, Facebook, and on the website, learningwithlowell.com. Also sign up for the newsletter where you can hear amazing content every Monday, new episodes every Tuesday, and new blog posts around every Thursday. Remember to share and tell your friends. Please and thank you.